Welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where all things entertainment cross over with all things pop culture, meaning TV, movies, music, sports, video gaming. It's all fair game to talk about on this podcast, and all things international, too, as we've got discussion once again on the Amazing Race Australia, Big Brother Canada. So I've got international in here, too. The Entertainment Goes Pop podcast crosses over with all things international. So we've got that, some sports talk as the NCAA tournament is getting ready to get underway and actually is underway with the qualifying games. Got some other TV discussion, a bunch of different topics on this week's edition of the podcast. We are down to finale week on Amazing Race Australia. Next week is finale week. Uh, We're down to the final four teams. I absolutely love Amazing Race Australia. I love this cast. I love the the cast. I love the task. That's a a tough thing to put together there. Uh, This season has just been such a breath of fresh air. I've just really enjoyed it. So let's recap these teams. If you're not familiar with Amazing Race Australia, I'm going to give a little bit of an intro to every team that was left here going into this week. We have MJ and Chelsea. They are the footy mates. They are best friends and premiership winning AFLW players. So then we have Ashley and Amanda. They are the Gold Coast girls. They met liking and commenting on each other's Instagrams, and then they became best friends as a result. They've been best friends ever since. Sky and Jake, they're a brother and sister team. Travel buddies, they're also very close as brother and sister. Sky was actually born without a left hand. So this is something where she's wanting to prove, you know, she can do anything. She can do whatever she wants. And let me tell you, she's tough. She does stuff that I can't, there's no way I could do. It's, I, I'm just so impressed with her. And, and I just, I love that team. Sky and Jake, they've been one of my favorite teams from the very beginning of the Amazing Race Australia. So I've been cheering them on from the very get-go. We have Jaskarat and Anurag. They are super Sikhs who met at a Sikh youth camp 10 years ago, and they've been friends ever since. We have Brendan and Jackson. They are cowboys, friends who met through rodeoing 10 years ago, and they've stayed friends. So we've got like a lot of friend situations where they met with like things that they're interested in or their profession or whatever, and they've stayed friends. So we have Chris and Alicia, high school sweethearts, newlyweds. Uh, basically, they're they're promoted like as geek and the princess to where uh, she spent the last 12 years working as as a princess in Disneyland. And, you know, they proclaim, proclaim Chris as the nerd, like the nerdy guy beside her. So that's how they uh, portray their dynamic on this show. Love these teams. They're, it's just, it's such a good cast. It's such a good cast. And I've just loved it. So let's roll through the three episodes of this past week of The Amazing Race Australia. Of course, we had the sad elimination of MJ and Chelsea. They were actually taken out with a U-turn by Jaskarat and Anurag. Um, MJ and Chelsea actually looked to be avoiding elimination. They, they were able to overcome it, but they got directions from a local who ended up sending them the wrong direction, and they just weren't able to recover. And they made a run at it, but they just got eliminated at the mat. You know, and I said... I said a while back, you know, that I just wasn't crazy about the addition of teams in the middle of the race. I just, I don't like that, but 
I really like that team. I really like MJ and Chelsea. I, I like their dynamic. I like how they work together. They were just so fun. I was sad to see them eliminated. So that gets us to the final five. So it's clear here that Chris and Alicia are against the world as the other teams have aligned and they're looking to eliminate them. There's a bond that's formed between these other teams and Chris and Alicia are against the world here trying to survive. So we get to a dancing task, which made me miss Jordan and Violetta. I really like Jordan and Violetta. They were they were my favorite. I really like them. And they would have really rocked this task. Anything that was dance and choreo, choreogra- choreographed, if I can get that word out, anything that was like that kind of related kind of task, they just rocked and dominated. So, but here's another deal here to where Alicia is able to do this too. Alicia, this particular task here, this is a strong point for them too, is Alicia has tap danced for 20 years. So this is a major advantage for this team when they needed it with the odds that they're facing. When Alicia is up, up there doing the dance with Chris, you know, she just looks like she is living her best life. She's dancing and instructing Chris, trying to help him and lead him on the on the choreography and everything. So Chris and Alicia are out of there first, followed by Jessica Rad, Anna Rag. They arrive to the next task, which is a first come, first serve sign-up sheet for the next day. So Chris and Alicia have the advantage, but then they get another big advantage in this task when we learn that it is a perform a dressage routine. What they're going to end up doing, they will ride stick horses and they have to perform a choreographed routine. This advantage is Chris and Alicia again. Now, Ashley and Amanda are not, they're not thrilled when they see this, saying that this is basically another dancing challenge and that, you know, this is going to favor Chris and Alicia again. So when the teams read the clues heading to, you know, these horse stables, it really reads something like they're going to be riding actual horses. So if you're the Cowboys, you're thinking, we've got a great advantage here. This is going to be awesome. We're going to be on horses and we're going to be able to do this. And they're excited only to arrive and realize it's stick horses and you have no advantage at all. And they're like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah, this does nothing for us. And now probably we're actually at a disadvantage. So the teams are all helping each other saying they know they have to be mistake free here on this task to keep up with Chris and Alicia because they're going to blaze through this. So as expected, Chris and Alicia are out of there fast. They're leaving first. They move on to the detour. There are two choices, but all teams end up picking Pitt. Pitt is one of, is the task that they pick for the detour. Pitt is where you have to break the pits off of olives, and then you have to leave the olives completely clean along with the pits. So you're picking these pits off, and you're putting them in this container. So Chris and Alicia have a lead here. They get there before any of the other teams arrive. Alicia finds a quicker technique here, which is standing and squashing them. And it's making this go really fast. But she gets concerned about continuing this because she knows when the other teams will start when the other teams arrive, they're going to start copying that technique. So they keep at that technique until the second team arrives, which is the Sikhs. They arrive and they go back to sitting down. Chris and Alicia end up standing back up as all the other teams arrive as they're wanting to try to knock this out. And then, of course, the other teams start looking over and they see the better strategy. And, of course, they copy and go. They're like, that's a pretty good idea. Let's do that. 
Well, except for the Cowboys, who are down on the end, and they're so zoned in and focused on their own thing that they're just sitting there, not realizing that the other teams around them have figured out a faster way to do it to where the other teams are looking down at them like, what is their problem? Why are they not doing this? And then finally they look up and they're like, oh, that looks like that could be a quicker way of doing it. Let's do that. It was pretty funny. It was a pretty funny moment. So... Chris and Alicia end up out of there first. They're followed by the Sikhs, and the Sikhs cut into their lead very quickly. They cut the lead of Chris and Alicia's from 20 minutes down to about five minutes. So the next task is a needle in a haystack, and it's literally finding a needle in a haystack. So Jaskarat and Anorag, they have horrible strategy, the worst strategy in this task to where they just decide they're going to throw hay everywhere. They're going to kick it. They're going to throw it. They're just going to scatter it everywhere to where this hay is just scattered all over the place. There's no there's no technique, no pattern, nothing. So the other teams all come in there, and they're very organized They're with a plan of like rolling it out. They start from a certain spot. They move around from spot to spot. The Sikhs are just walking all over the place, and they're kicking stuff and throwing stuff. And it was it was just not pretty. It's like, oh, this is not going to be good for y'all. This is going to be a tough thing here to overcome. So Ashley and Amanda get out of there first. Chris and Alicia second getting out of there. Sky ends up finding it for Sky and Jake. They're out of there. Cowboys right behind. So at the mat for this this end of the for this leg of the race, Ashley and Amanda are first. This makes them their winners of their sixth leg of the season. Chris and Alicia second, Sky and Jake and the Cowboys arrive at the same time, and since they know they're not going to be last, they decide they want to land on the mat at the same time and actually tie. Sky ends up landing her foot just barely, barely before, so it ends up putting Sky and Jake third place, Cowboys fourth. Jaskarat and Anorag, they're still struggling trying to find that needle, and it takes them 90 minutes. We're at least 90 minutes when they pop the graphic up on the screen. They finally get it. They arrive at the mat, their last place, but they're still in the race as this was a non-elimination round. So this moves us on to the next episode, which is the 20th leg of the race. And I'm amazed at how many episodes there are compared to what we get here in the States, but I love the more episodes. And I think it's really made us help bond to these teams even more because we're seeing even more of them. So the roadblock takes these teams into a canyon where one member of the team will follow a guide to where they're going to go through a canyon, including some spots that are pitch black water pools to where you're just going to have to go into this into water at times where it's just completely dark in these low areas of the canyon. So at the end of this, you're going to rappel down a waterfall so Sky and Jake end up lost on the way, and they've had several moments here lately where they just get lost, you know, trying to uh, get to locations, and it's uh, it's really put them at a disadvantage a lot of times. So I'm like, oh no, they're down already. So this this was a bummer. The Sikhs make a huge run here. They jump from last all the way up to second place by the time they get to the canyon, which was an incredible comeback right off the bat. Ashley and Amanda, they get through this first. Alicia has a moment trying to, she struggles through this because she has a fear of water. So she really struggles being in full stress mode through this one, through this whole thing. At one point, she won't even jump into the water because she is afraid of jumping into the water blind because she's not, 
she does she's afraid of that unknown underneath it so the god sends her another way through through the water through another path so and then through the waterfall she ends up hitting her head a bit on the rappel down the waterfall because she's just in such stress mode that she's just panicking she's out of control with her movements because she's just all out of sorts stressed out so the detour after this takes us to lunch or launch if you choose lunch you have to work as a waiter taking orders at a fancy restaurant now you have to remember the order of the of the food in your head. You can't write it down. And then there's also these foods that you may not be familiar with either. So you're having to remember this in your head. So I liked Ashley and Amanda's plan here is when they took their orders of the because each one of them's listening to another person. You know, Ashley's listening to one woman give her order. Amanda Ashley's listening to one, Amanda's listening to the other. So when they get their orders, they walk back to the kitchen and they're not saying a word to one another because they each know that the other's trying to run these things in their head to try to remember what the what the order is. And then another strategy that they have is that this food that they don't know what is, they start taste testing food back in the kitchen because there's no rule that says you can't do it. So they start taste testing food to try to try to match some of the things that they were hearing. And it works because they leave first. They're right out of there. So the other end of the detour is launch. You know, if you don't want to do lunch, you can do launch. Launch is where you have to do a launch sending five things of pudding flying into the air. Your partner has to catch it, catch it in a hat, but they have to stay behind the line. And the catch to this haha, is literally you have to catch five in a row. So you have to catch five of these in a row. And if you miss one, you start over. So you have pudding flying. You've got to catch it five in a row. If you miss one, you're starting all over. Sky and Jake, Jaskarat, and Anorag, Cowboys, they all do launch. The Cowboys just dominated this thing. They were out of there quickly. Chris and Alicia did the lunch task. Um, we get to the next task after this, which was the root info, where teams had to perform a hula, hula hoop routine including a double hula at the end with both members. The Cowboys practicing this was hysterical. It was hilarious. They were cracking up at it. The Cowboys end up finishing that first. They're out of there. Sky and Jake, they really struggle here. As Jake was just getting, he was just struggling, trying to get the routine down. At one point, he accidentally hit Sky in the face with a hula hoop when they were trying to practice the double, the double hula. So... And we're starting to see a lot of their frustration showing because they'd already gotten lost and they'd just been struggling here. And the frustration's really starting to show in them at this point. Ashley and Amanda finish. Chris and Alicia finish. The Seeks finish. And this puts Sky and Jake in the back of the field. Uh, the final task of this leg was the roadblock, which was a sky bridge task. This was pretty incredible to watch. This was one of the more impressive amazing race task I think I've seen anywhere. So teams have to complete a task where you walk across a ladder 40 meters across and over four, over 80 meters high. So you can't fall on the ladder if you even stumble and put your knee down on the ladder. You have to go back to the back of the line and start over. And the one member of the team that does this, you only have to have one member of the team do it. It has to be the opposite person that did... Um, 
the canyon task. Whoever did the canyon task, it's got to be the other person. On the way to the roadblock, the cowboys get lost. They get wrong directions. Them and Ashley and Amanda arrive at the same time. They're like, how in the world are we here at the same time? You know, that was that was weird. And they're like, well, we got lost. Ashley and Amanda, incredible to watch as they were completing this. And it was just really stressful watching the, like the ladder swing while they while stepping. Slow and steady, definitely the way to do this because it's so easy to make that ladder start swinging. And once that ladder starts swinging, that's a problem, you know, to where you lose your balance, you overcompensate. So, so the Ashley and Amanda, they rock it. They're out of there. Cowboys are up next. Jackson's struggling. He's struggling even getting started to the point I'm not even sure he's going to be able to do it, you know. And he's saying that, like, I don't think I can do this. So, Brendan's yelling, pumping him up, just encouraging him, you know, trying to help him as he gets along. Brendan eventually figures it out. He gets a rhythm on it and he finishes. Chris goes up next. He gets the task done. At the mat to finish this league of the race, Ashley and Amanda first, and they're wanting to become the first all-female team to win Amazing Race Australia and one of the few to win it in the world. You know, that's what they say when they get on the mat. Chris and Alicia arrive second and, you know, the host, second he sees them coming up, he's just like the team that won't die. It's like they just keep, they keep coming along because they keep getting sabotages. Teams won't work with them. They're overcoming fears. And he's just like this team just won't die. It's like they, they are just gutsy and they keep going. And so they're up there. The Cowboys got lost on the way there. So... That is why they're up next and they're third at the pit stop, even though they left second from the from the bridge. That takes us back to the Sky Bridge, is down to the Seeks and Sky and Jake. Of course, Jake was just beating himself up on the whole drive there. Uh, the Seeks are up there on the Sky Bridge. Anorag is up, and Sky and Jake are watching just intently, you know, hoping for a fall to where they at least get a chance at this. So Anorag does stumble and fall, and this puts Jake up. Jake struggles right off the bat. It's kind of awkward with him up there because he's really tall. He's really tall. He's like 6'4", 6'5". And so it's, it seems like when he gets out of control on the ladder, it puts him into panic mode where he's trying to overcompensate, get himself back into control. And when you get into a fast pattern up there on that ladder, it's so easy to get out of control and get you off balance and put you down. So... And that ends up happening to Jake. He ends up stumbling and falling. And, you know, this puts Anorag back up on a second attempt. He gets it. They're off. Jake does much better on his second time. He gets his rhythm just so much better. He's good here. And, of course, they were studying Anorag, watching him on his second attempt, trying to see what he was doing well. And they noticed that he was really staying in the middle and how that was key with keeping your balance and keeping things kind of in place with the ladder. So the Sikhs get caught in traffic on the way to the pit stop when they go the wrong way, which gives Sky and Jake a little bit of hope, but just not meant to be. The Sikhs finish fourth, which leaves a tearful Sky and Jake eliminated at this end of the leg of this amazing race. So very sad to see Sky and Jake go again. Really just a favorite team of mine. So who wins this? I don't know. I'm really excited about finale week because any of these teams can win. This is a really strong final four. 
I think this is going to be fun. I think Ashley and Amanda win. I'm going to pick them to win. It just seems like it's their race to lose, you know, because the thing with that team, those girls, they just overcome. You know, they they haven't had a lot of adversity in this race, and but when they have adversity, they bounce back so quickly because they've had some big moments of adversity to where you're thinking, uh-oh, and then they get right back up and make a comeback. And a lot of times they're back up in the, you know, they'll be at the bottom of the rankings in that leg and then they'll battle back and be up at the top by the end of the leg of the race. So I feel like if I had to pick between the four, I think it's Ashley and Amanda's race. I just feel like it's theirs to lose, you know, where it's something's going to have to happen to them that costs them the race. Cause they're just, they're just so good. But all four of these teams are so good and they've each got their own story and I'm just pumped to see how this plays out. Amazing Race Australia finale week airs next week. I believe it airs Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday in Australia. So I'm very pumped to see how this plays out. Some TV notes this week as uh, the Grammy Awards were this last weekend. Uh, not if <laughs> I didn't watch it, and apparently a lot of you didn't watch it either, as this was the lowest rated Grammy Awards ever, as it fell to 8.8 million viewers. Last year they did 18.7 million viewers. I didn't watch it. I haven't watched the Grammy Awards in many years. I can't, I couldn't even tell you the last time I watched the Grammy Awards. I just don't watch a lot of music awards shows, especially kind of like the Grammys, AMAs, that kind of stuff. I rarely watch that. I might tune in here and there if there's like a category or something that I'm interested in or performance. But award shows are just really struggling through the pandemic era. I mean, award shows just seems like they are down across the board. It's It's been a real struggle for award shows to kind of try to pull viewers during this pandemic era. Um, if you're, I know a lot of people are really into this, the Justice League, a lot of people are really pumped for that Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. It is now up on HBO Max if you want to check that out. If you've been wanting to see the Snyder cut of Justice League, it's now up there. It is a four-hour cut so I know a bunch of people are pumped. If you want to see it, it's up there. The Drew Barrymore Show, renewed for season two, is it runs in syndication if you aren't familiar with it. Uh, I've watched it a few times and I enjoy it. I think Drew really, really shines in that role. There was one moment, um, I don't know if it was the, I don't know if it's the first episode. It was early on in the show anyway, to where the production was incredible. Of course, with the pandemic and everything, they're having to try to figure things out. They did something to where they had her and some guests all on the stage together. I can't remember who all it was that was on there. I think it was Cameron Diaz. I don't remember. I don't know. Anyway, it was a reunion of sorts. It was something like that. And they had them all on the stage together. The thing was, they weren't all there on the stage together. They showed that one of them, I believe it was just one of them, I think, was on location somewhere else. They did something production-wise to where they were able to take her from her other location 
and do some incredible production work and put her on the stage with the rest of them on the show location of where the show was shot. And you couldn't even tell. Like, you could not even tell. It was incredible. And I think that's one thing that really got some attention on that show early on. I know when uh, Drew Barrymore was on Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, um, that's one thing that Jimmy Fallon brought up because he was like, holy cow. <laughs> like, this was impressive, and then they showed it. So that was very incredible. Glad to hear it being renewed for season two. I enjoy it when I see it. I haven't watched it a whole lot. I enjoy it when I do see it, though. So very good news there that that's going to get renewed. Of course, I mentioned season six of Supergirl is going to be premiering on Tuesday, March, March the 30th, if I can get that out at 8 p.m. Central Time on the CW. Entertainment Weekly is reporting that there is going to be a young Cat Grant in a couple of episodes this season, which we're going to see. This is going to be flashbacks of a young Cat Grant. Eliza Helm is going to play the role of that. So it's going to be like, you know, pre-era of Cat Grant before she worked her way up. So that's going to be cool to see. Of course, Cat Grant in current day, played by, of course, Callista Flockhart. So that's something cool that we're going to see. And as far as Supergirl itself, they're not letting a lot of stuff out on what this last season is going to be. So we'll have to check that out as it goes along. But March 30th, we're almost there for the launch date of the final season of the show. Paramount Plus has announced if <laughs> we're getting a lot of like old school real world content here. They announced the Challenge All-Stars, which is going to premiere on April the 1st on Paramount+. Plus. They have released a trailer. They've released the cast. I'm not going to go into the full cast. I'm just going to talk some old schoolers here on some people that will probably get me to tune into this and check it out. We're going to have Beth S. from the Real World Los Angeles, which is the second season. Ruthie and Tech from Real World Hawaii, season 8. We're going to have Cyrus from Real World Boston, Anissa from Real World Chicago, Ace from Real World Paris, and Mark from Road Rules 1. If you remember Mark from Road Rules 1, you're going to remember the duo of Mark and Kit. They were a lot of fun on... Uh, on that first season of Road Rules. So with these old schoolers in here, of course there's some names on here from the newer seasons of The Real World and The Challenge and such that I don't know. I think there's one other name. Kendall seems real familiar. I feel like maybe I've seen her on a previous Challenge season or something. I don't know. Either that or I'm getting her mixed up with somebody else. But there's a lot of newer school on there. So I think this is going to be fun to check out. Of course, these are the ones that I was the most interested in as far as the seasons that I've seen. So I'll probably check that out. HBO Max has announced that they are going to be doing a docu-series on Brittany Murphy. Uh, of course, Brittany Murphy passed away several years ago. This is going to be a two-parter uh, with this docu-series. They put out a press release on this saying that this docu-series is going to be an in-depth and intimate character portrait featuring new interviews with those close to Murphy, new archival footage, and delve into the mysterious circumstances around her death. So that is going to be something to check out. Still so sad that Brittany Murphy is gone. She was just such a talented actress and 
just huge in the 90s. She was just in so many movies around that time. Of course, she was big and clueless. She was awesome in that. And just such a talented actress that's just so sad that she's gone, you know. So this will be something to check out. They are going to be, no word on when this is going to be released that I've seen, but this is going to be coming to HBO Max at a later time. So it will be a two-parter. Thursday Night Football, moving from Fox to Amazon Prime in 2023. This is going to be a 10-year deal that they've worked out. Um, in the press release that was put out, it was in the statement from uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Thursday Night Football will be our first ever digital package, and we're thrilled to exclusively partner with Amazon to bring our games to more fans on more platforms. NFL football drives passionate viewers, and Amazon will enable us to continue to grow our fan base in innovative and compelling ways. So, did you ever think that was something that would ever happen to where Amazon Prime is going to have exclusive rights to something like sports-related, NFL-related? Just, it's crazy how just the things that are happening in the TV world and the streaming world now, it's just just crazy as this continues to go. If you're an old school music fan like myself, this is something that I found last week. I don't know how long this has been up. I don't feel like it's been long. I was on the 90210 channel the other night. Well, it's a shared channel. It's 90210 in Melrose Place. During commercials, they were pushing that Pluto TV was... The 90210 Melrose Place channel on Pluto. I don't know if I actually said that or not. But there was a commercial advertising. They have channels for music videos for different eras now. I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's basically, um, they've got channels for the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2K. So that is very cool. Of course, I immediately jumped over to the 90s channel just wanting to see kind of what they were playing and one thing I will say that I really like is a lot of times when you get into like these decades kind of music stuff, whether it's audio or video, either one, it basically turns into like a greatest hits kind of thing where you just hear like the same rotation of like the greatest hits of those decades. And from what I've seen, it's really not that way with Pluto because I've been on the 90s channel quite a bit and they've... They've been playing some like lesser known songs from the 90s, like, well, videos. They've been playing videos of some lesser known songs from the 90s and to where I know them, but they weren't exactly big hits. They were just kind of the lesser known hits at the time, you know, where it may, might be like the third or fourth song that came off an album or something. And that really impressed me, where I thought, oh, my goodness, I haven't seen this video or heard this song in a long time. So they're not just hitting the, you know, the top 20 or 40 of the decade, you know, or something like that. They're jumping around and really playing some kind of lesser played stuff, and that's very cool. So if you want to check out some music videos and just kind of jump into your Wayback Machine... You know, you can get on Pluto TV and look it up. It's, uh, I believe it's under the Vivo uh, section of Pluto TV. You got a channel for the 70s, channel for the 80s, channel for the 90s, 
channel for uh, 2K. So I love that. It, it definitely shows that they're playing a variety of stuff. So check that out. I've loved it. That's definitely something I'm going to be landing on a lot. Because I listen to a lot of the iHeartRadio, uh, like 90s and 2000s. I really jump around on those two stations quite a bit. Because they play... They play a pretty good variety. They sometimes will kind of repeat stuff, but they play a pretty good variety on that. So, yeah, this is right up my alley where it's just like I can just turn something on in the background and watch videos from, you know, time gone by, you know. So, very cool. Pluto TV, I keep saying it, but check out Pluto TV. There's so much good stuff on there, and it's free. It's free, people. Jump on there and just just look around. There's all sorts of stuff. I promise you're going to find something you like. So jump on there. Pluto TV. I can't recommend it enough. It's really awesome. And did I mention it's free? A couple of sports items this week. Of course, the NCAA tournament is getting ready to start up. Actually, tonight it started up as far as the play-in games go. We had those qualifying games going where some of the teams are trying to get into the yeah, get into the big tournament. It's weird how they do it now because it's I guess every part of it's the tournament now. I don't know. It's kind of strange how they do it. But tomorrow is actually when the big part of the tournament gets underway. It's going to take place in Indianapolis, all in kind of a bubble there, just kind of like what the NBA playoffs did where they put everybody in it. Well, not just the NBA playoffs. It was the NBA altogether, regular season relaunch and everything where they put everybody in a bubble there's going to be covid restrictions there in indianapolis so very curious to see how this tournament plays out especially under these circumstances i feel like this could be a very crazy tournament because i mean there's going to be some fans there there's going to be some people allowed in there there's restrictions i think with like you can have family members there i don't know they've got They've got this all planned out, but it's not going to be like it normally is, obviously. Nowhere even near. So you may have a very few people there. So this is going to be like how the NBA playoffs were. And I really felt like the NBA playoffs were affected by that bubble because teams didn't have home court advantage. It was a very different atmosphere. There was no traveling back and forth. You're in that same place you know, to where no, neither team really had an advantage. So you're just straight up playing basketball. And this is what it's going to be like here. You know, it's all these teams are going to be playing. It's going to be at different venues there in Indianapolis. They've got that all figured out. So I feel like this is the year that just some random team could just go in there and get this thing done. So it's going to be very exciting to see how this plays out. I did my tournament bracket. I was very out of practice with the year off, you know, from last year because I usually kind of have a routine and I kind of remember how teams do from year to year a little bit. I don't I don't watch a whole lot of college basketball because I'm a big NBA person, so I mostly, you know, that's where my attention is. So this was hard getting back into this routine a little bit when I was looking at the tournament bracket trying to figure it out. 
And after I got done, I just thought, you know, this is just a hot mess, <laughs> is all this tournament bracket of mine is. After I watched the TNT crew tonight with Charles and Kenny and Ernie and all them, where they were given their predictions of their final four, after I heard theirs, I thought, okay, I don't feel as bad now with my final four picks. It made me feel a little better. So who are my final four? Well, here's what we got. I'm, I've got Gonzaga, I've got Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma State. So I have one number one seed, I have two number two seeds, and one number four seed. So I don't know, we've got Gonzaga coming in here undefeated. They are looking to run the table here. Can they get it done? I don't know. We're going to see. I, it's Like I said, this is just going to be a hard tournament. I just feel like this is going to be a very hard tournament. We're just even more so, I don't know. I was going to say even more so that a team just could get hot. But in normal circumstances, that actually works for the better for some of these teams when they get hot. Because whenever you have an underrated team and they're playing in front of crowds that are waiting for other games you know maybe they're just there to watch or they're waiting for their team to play what ends up happening is the fans there will get behind that underdog and the building starts cheering for them and then these underdogs start feeding off that energy so that could be missing in this tournament obviously I don't know I don't know it's it's tough to feel out because I could see underdogs really making a run in this tournament too to where these bigger teams don't have their crowds to play off of. So I don't know. It could go either way. It's something I'm very excited to check out and see how it goes. And it's great to have the NCAA tournament back. So we'll just see how it goes and see how my tournament bracket goes. And we'll see if by next week at this time that I've just shredded <laughs> my bracket. So we'll see how that turns out. We have a cool anniversary. Well, for me anyway, this date in 1995, March 18th, 1995, this was this day in history Michael Jordan's famous two-word facts that he sent out announcing his return to the NBA. He sent out one fax that just said, I'm back. That's the only thing that went out. Uh, I just, I remember that day just, oh, I was so excited to have Michael Jordan back. Of course, back in 93, just so sad, so depressed when he retired and then we get to 1995, and of course the baseball strike was going on. So, and he was playing baseball at the time, and he didn't have anywhere to play baseball. So, I clearly remember, you know, the, the rumors started flying. You know, Michael Jordan's at the Birdo Center, which was the Bulls' practice facility at the time. And, you know, they're, they're there, he's there, you know, and that. All this was going on. WGN was starting to pick up on the story. And every single night, and I remember this clearly because it was just like every night I tuned in. Like, what's going to happen? How's this going? And they would lead the WGN news every night at like 9 o'clock with the Jordan watch. And they would update on any updates on Michael Jordan, what had happened at the Birdo Center, any new rumors, just anything. 
because the media was just surrounding the Birdo Center, you know, waiting to see how this story was going to play out because it was really looking like he was going to come back. And we even have the moment from that week to where the Bulls were playing a game at the United Center and Scottie Pippen was on the bench during the timeout. And the camera is right in front of Scotty. Scotty sees the camera and he's wearing Air Jordan shoes that night. He lifts his shoe up to show the bottom of the shoe and to where you can see it on the camera. And you see the Air Jordan logo and Scotty with a big grin on his face starts doing the come on, come on back motion. You know, he's like, come on, let's let's go. And we had that moment, and that's kind of when it started to pick up some steam, too, where you're like, oh, Scotty's kind of playing this up a little bit, too, here. And, of course, it just seemed like we were just waiting for an announcement as it got further along. And then March 18th, which was Saturday, we, uh, we got the announcement on that fax, and no press conference, no nothing, just straight-up fax, two words, I'm back. And the next day, we were waiting for that Indiana Pacers game where the Bulls were going to go to Indianapolis. There's a lot of Indianapolis in this uh, moment here with the sports talk. <laughs> uh, they were going to Market Square to play the Pacers, and this would be Jordan's first game back in a Bulls uniform. And it was just a circus there uh, with the media, the crowd, all of us watching on TV, you know, just so excited. I was just so pumped. And, you know, I mean, he, he had a solid game. I mean, he struggled shooting, which, you know, you expected it was going to be. It was going to take time for him to get back in rhythm. And he was in baseball shape. You know, that was the big thing. It's like for people to remember, hey, he's in baseball shape. He's not in basketball shape here. He's got to work himself back into basketball shape. So the Pacers game was kind of a struggle. Next game was against the Celtics in Boston. He was better that game. Things went better that game, I always thought. And then that brings things back March 24th, 1995, if I remember right. I think I got that date right. Uh, that was the first game for Michael Jordan in the building that he built, the United Center. So the house that he built was now going to host Michael Jordan. And... You talk, I mean, the media circus obviously in Indiana was one thing, but now you get it back to Chicago, and I will just never forget it. You know, there was WGN was covering the game, they were covering it anyway. It was on their lineup. This was back when WGN would show probably about half the Bulls games every season, you know, and it there wasn't any kind of you know regulations where the league, you know, it's like TBS covered the Hawks games. WGN had the Bulls games. That's just how it always was. And, of course, you know, a couple years later, then the NBA put their foot down and only let WGN cover so many uh, national games. They would could cover it in the Chicago area, but there were only so many games that went out over national. So at that time, you know, it was already on the Bulls lineup for that game in 95. TNT added the game and they put it on their schedule and jumped in. I think they were going to cover another game. That was a Friday night, if I remember right. I think it was a Friday night. And maybe right on that. It was March 24th, 95, whatever day that fell on. Um, so TNT jumps in. So we have this game on two different channels. And 
So WGN, it's like we've got like the home, the home version, you know, here in uh, Wayne Larrabee and Johnny Kerr call the game. And it was just, just crazy. Like, you know, the Bulls come out, it's just a huge roar in the United Center. And the United Center is roaring on, even when he's in the layup line, he goes up for a layup and just lays it in. The crowd's just going crazy. They're cheering everything. It's awesome. And of course, the lineups, you know, when he gets introduced, you can't hear anything when it's when he gets introduced. The crowd's so loud. And what was cool, TNT that night, um, they had they had a camera crew over at Michael Jordan's restaurant at the time there in Chicago. So they would cut over there every so often to get the reaction over there. And there was one play where uh, Michael drove in drove into the lane, got a layup, and it was just a big layup, big point in the game, and they cut over to Michael Jordan's restaurant, that place is just going crazy over there, and it was just, you had to experience it live as you were watching it, to where it's, Chicago's just going crazy, it's, it's incredible, and it was so fun, I just always remember that night, to where it's like, you know, he's back, and now he's back in front of the home crowd. He really struggled that night. He did not have a good game in his first home game back. There was, I think there was just so many nerves and just so much attention on it. It was, it was just, it was a lot, you know, it was a lot to deal with. And it's a new building, and, you know, Michael Jordan's never been shy about saying that he doesn't, he's never liked the atmosphere of the United Center as far as shooting. Like, it's just the background's different. The stadium, old Chicago Stadium, was very wide open, and he liked that. The United Center had a very different feel with how how the background was. He just, he never, he never was a fan of, like, shooting at the United Center as compared to the stadium. He loved the old stadium. So, of course, the Bulls that year, you know, they, uh, well, and he struggled in that game. And then the next night in Atlanta, he goes down there and hits a game winner. And I always called Atlanta Bulls South because there's, there was usually more Bulls fans than there were Hawks fans in that building down there in the Omni. So he goes down there, hits a game winner. And it was just like that big moment of, you know, he's back. And then I think, you know, maybe a the next game or a couple games later is when he put up the double nickel in the garden, Madison Square Garden in New York on TNT that night. And, you know, the Bulls would go on that year in 95. I mean, they, it was, it was tough. I mean, he's jumping in there with like, I don't know, there was maybe 18 games to go or something. I don't know, somewhere around that number. So he's coming right in. He's trying to get used to these new teammates that he hasn't played with. He's in baseball shape, but the important thing was he was back. You know, that was the exciting thing. We had the moment in Orlando in game one to where, you know, he turned the ball over at the very end, just just got picked from behind, you know, and he was just super frustrated that that had happened. And Nick Anderson for Orlando made the bad comment saying, 23 wouldn't have done that and of course you remember Jordan's wearing 45 at this point he's like that's not something 23 would have done so inner game two gone is 45 back is 23 and Jordan puts up like 38 points in uh, game two there in Orlando and ties the series up 
And it was a back-and-forth series. Of course, Orlando was the top team in the East that year. Young team, fun team to watch. And they had Horace Grant. They'd gotten him from Chicago. He went and signed there as a free agent. And one thing the Bulls really missed was rebounding. That's something that they did not have a lot of. You know, they had the three-headed monster with the center position. But, you know, they didn't have a rebounder, and that really showed. And then you've got Jordan in baseball shape. So, I mean, they get to get to game six. Things are looking good. Like, this is going to be a tie series. It's going to go back to game seven in Orlando. Bulls are up by, I don't know, eight points or something with like six minutes to go. Jordan gets a breakaway steal, dunk. United Center is going crazy. I'm going crazy. Like, this is going to game seven, and then the Bulls just kind of fall apart there in the last, like, six minutes of the game. Orlando makes a run and puts it away, and they put Horace Grant up on the shoulders of uh, their teammates, and that drew a lot of boos for the United Center, and we remembered that very clearly, that moment, and that would play into 1996 when... The Bulls would fix that rebounding problem, and Michael Jordan would come back in basketball shape coming off that Space Jam uh, moment, you know, where he was filming that movie and was doing, uh, basically had a little basketball mini camp set up down there to get him back in shape. So maybe that's something I will get into when I eventually cover The Last Dance. That is still on my agenda that I'm going to do. Some pretty in-depth discussion on the Last Dance documentary, just giving it from a point of view of somebody that's just a monster Bulls and Michael Jordan fan, and just give thoughts and stuff from just a huge fan's perspective. So very cool moment today in history, March 18th, 1995, when my world got happily turned upside down, when my favorite of all time returned to the court. Big Brother Canada continues to roll along and I'm going to say right now this is the most I hope this continues to stay but this week is the most I have enjoyed a Big Brother season in several seasons because that's I've been you know I've said over and over I have not liked the recent US seasons of course last season's Big Brother all-star season was just not very good it was just not a fun watch you know and we just had some very kind of eh seasons in recent years and big brother canada is bringing it i mean it, so far we're off to a really good start in big brother canada i have really enjoyed the episodes this week so i'm going to recap and give some thoughts again i'm not so much as a live feeder with canada with u.s I'm glued to the live feeds on the U.S. I really keep track of it here. Canada, I don't really follow the live feeds as much as far as watching them. Now, I listen to what all the live feed recappers are giving, Twitter, all that, but I'm mostly a show watcher when it comes to Big Brother Canada. So we are going to jump in to the happenings on the episodes this week. And, of course, I'm going to talk mostly episodes here, so... There was a lot going on. I'm very aware of that. A lot of drama, you know, and there's there's a lot of stuff that I can't even really cover. There, there was just so much going on. So let's jump back to last week, of course, 
You know, I, oh, I couldn't stand that they left off in the middle of the HOH last week. That's frustrating. That's something that Big Brother Canada does a lot. They like to leave you with that cliffhanger in the middle of the HOH comps, and oh, it's frustrating. But so we jump back to what was day 13 last week in the Big Brother Canada house where we get some flashbacks of what led up to last week's eviction episode. Now remember that we expected more drama with last week's vote, but instead ended up with a unanimous vote to evict Josh. So we get the flashbacks to 30 minutes before the eviction episode where we are seeing LaToya going room to room trying to flip the vote to get Rohan evicted. Now, Rohan is watching this going on from downstairs, and his nerves are climbing because he's watching her roam around, and he's thinking, I may not be safe here. What's going on with her? Victoria was adamant that she wouldn't do it. She wasn't going to be a part of this vote flip. So after her room-to-room visits, LaToya gives up her attempts, seeing that she wasn't going to have the vote, so she just wasn't going to do it. So we also see a strategy talk with Kiefer where he's, you know, he's talking about what all is going on and everything. And Kiefer is selling that Victoria was wanting to flip the vote, to which Victoria tells Roe that she is the reason for the unanimous vote to save Roe. You know, basically like, I saved you. So this is what she's telling Roe. Now Kiefer is in trouble and he admits it in the DR saying that he tried to play the middle of the house and he got burned. So now we're back to where we left off last week with the HOH competition, which was the knockout competition. So, you know, you're up there, you pick, you compete against the person. If you win, you pick the next two to compete. The winner of that eliminates one, so on and so on and so on. With these knockout competitions, what happens is who you pick will often show your cards in this game. This is a competition, you know, in Canada and also in the US to where this will expose your game on who you pick and who you try to get eliminated and who you're trying to keep safe, you know. So we end up back there and because of that very reason, Roe throws the competition because he said that he knew who he picked to go up was going to show his cards. So we end up with Latoya end up in the final three, and then she laughs about it, saying, I'm in the final three, and I hadn't even been picked to play at this point. But she ends up in the final three. She does get eliminated, and then it comes down to Kiefer and Victoria, because of course it does, because that's where the drama is. And that's really what we ask as Big Brother fans, you know, to where these kind of moments happen, to where... You want to see these kind of things with drama to where you're going to see some power playing and some moves made in the game. So, of course, they're up final two. Both are promising safety to the other, saying, I will not put you up. Victoria wins HOH, and we are off to the races for what was a wild HOH week. So much that I can't even recap. So much that even happened on the feeds that I can't even give full like descriptions of because I didn't see it. You know, I'm hearing it from from the others. So right off the bat, she has to name four have-nots for the week. So Austin ends up volunteering. So she's she's going to be a have-not. Then she picks Roe, Kyle, and Brayden. From there, we see the revelation of the Glossy Bossies Alliance, which is going to be Victoria, Austin, and Brayden. 
from there we see Kyle going to Kiefer with a with a what was that kind of look you know that's what he goes to uh, Kiefer with and Kiefer knows he's in trouble you know it's like I said before for playing the middle of the house with uh, his gameplay and he's trying to do damage control with Kyle and Roe and it's just not working you know they're they're on to it they know what happened Kiefer tells Latoya that he cut a deal with Victoria you know, for safety, but he says, you know, we'll see how that goes. Beth talks to Victoria saying to remember who is talking to you now and who was talking to you before you got into power. You know, she is especially pointing out Kyle and Roe saying, did they want anything to do with you before you had power? And Victoria is saying, you know, she's going to have to have, she's going to have so much information coming at her this week. She's going to have to figure out which info is legit that's coming at her and which which of it's trying to play her, you know, for game purposes here. So Kiefer, at this moment, he gets a super guilty conscience over what he attempted with the vote flip. And he tells Tina and Tara that he is going to ask Victoria to put him on the block as a result. You know, he says that he threw Victoria under the bus with that vote flip, and he'd rather go up than throw under throw others under the bus. So he says it is the best move for his conscience that he'd rather just go on the block. So Victoria tells Latoya that it is between her and Braden on who goes up. So Victoria tells us that she is telling this info to Latoya as a trap to see see who Latoya shares that information with and then see if it comes back to her to where she knows she can find out where there might be any kind of leaks and in information that's going around and then she can figure out who she can talk to and who she can't talk to. So Latoya takes the information to Beth, Ty, and Jedson. So that happens there. Um, we get the Wendy's date where that happens, where Victoria takes Braden with her on the date. The video that she got from her family was Victoria's boyfriend and best friend that were on that. The two of them are brothers. I thought that was a pretty neat story that Victoria's boyfriend and her best friend are brothers. So that's that's kind of cool how, uh, how that worked out. I thought that was a neat story. So Braden ends up telling Victoria, he said, you know, you can't trust Beth. And then word spreads around on that on what Victoria told Latoya and that the trap ended up working because she figured out where that information was leaking. So Jetson and Ty go to Victoria trying to deflect Latoya as a target this week. Victoria says, you know, once again, that she was not happy about Latoya trying to flip that vote last second, especially when she didn't want it. And now she doesn't trust her. She has zero trust in Latoya, afraid that she's going to flip anything. So Kiefer goes to talk to Victoria and says, you have to put me up on the block. As he said he was going to do, that's what he said in an earlier conversation. He says it's, it's a bad game move on his part, but it clears his conscience. He's just, he's feeling very bad on that game move. So it's like, just clear my conscience, put me on the block. Victoria says, I have a target and it isn't you. And when I do put you up on the block, just look sad and, you know, just just play it up, you know, just look sad, be moping around. And in my nomination speech, I'm going to say, you know, that you threw my name out. So I'm returning the favor. So nominations come up. Nominations are Kiefer and Latoya while she talks about the importance of keeping her name out of people's mouth, which plays up on the Kiefer thing. 
So after nominations, Roe walks in on a conversation with Kiefer and LaToya where they are laughing and talking about fireworks. Roe asks, he's like, well, what does that mean? What, what's fireworks about? And LaToya says, well, you'll find out later. So Roy, Roy, Roe tells this inform, information to Kyle and Austin. So later, Kyle and Roe walk into the storage where Kiefer, Tara, and Tina are working on the food and they confront Kiefer over the fireworks comment and about their names being brought up. And he says it was all taken out of context. And Latoya is listening at the door. And she eventually walks in joining things. And she basically says, hey, this is Big Brother. Everyone's names get mentioned in Big Brother. That's just how this game is. So Tina and Tara leave the conversation. They're not happy with how Kyle and Roe handled this situation and the approach that they had doing it with uh, with Kiefer. So Tina says that she has been stepping away from the Sunsetters group alliance because she feels like it is just like it's two people making decisions and then the rest of the group just do whatever the two people have that they want to get done. So later Roe goes to talk to Kiefer wanting to settle things down and kind of cool things off from what happened earlier because he, you know, he knows it was awkward and things kind of went weird <laughs> and Kiefer's like, you know, well, he walks in. He's like, "Can I have? Can I have a minute with you?" And Kiefer's like, "No, you can't. You can have zero minutes with me. You have zero minutes to talk with me. I'm done with you. I have. There's nothing that that can be done to salvage this. So Kiefer's just done with uh, with him. So Kyle goes to talk to Latoya, and they hug to where you know Kyle says, "Yeah, I'm, we both said things we both regret." To which Latoya says, "I don't." <laughs> And I'm not apologizing for anything I said. She's like, now I'll forget what happened. I'll for you know I'll forget it, but I'm I'm not apologizing for anything that was that was said in that conversation. So this is the first time that we get the TV appearance of the other alliance that's formed in the house, and that is called the Oddballs. This alliance is basically everyone except the Sunsetters. So it's everybody but Ty, Beth, Kiefer, LaToya, Tina, and Jetson. So the oddballs are the other, the rest of the house, and they're all going to align together to go at the Sunsetters alliance. So we get to the veto player picks. We get five players picked to play, including the two nominees of Kiefer and LaToya. So Ty and Austin's are picked out of the bag. They're the names that are picked out of the bag. LaToya gets house guest choice when she draws out, and she picks Jetson as her pick. So the veto competition is a very cool crossword puzzle challenge. I thought this was really fun. Like, I would love to have played this, and this was one of the better, just fun, like, competitions I've seen in any of Big Brother lately, whether it's U.S. or Canada. So basically, you're working a crossword puzzle. The clues are all Big Brother questions, terms that go with the clues. Then you have to use all your tiles that you have, and you drop your tiles from up above. So basically, the way to think about it is think something that looks like Plinko, you know, from the prices right to where you're up above, and you drop it down, except when you drop down, it goes straight down. So that's kind of the best way to describe it as far as a visual. You know, you're up above the board, and you drop your tile down to to spell out your word on the crossword so basically you you have to get it right from the bottom because the only way to if you mess up the only way to fix it is you have to pull the bottom out which pulls all your tiles out 
So you want to make sure that you're getting these words right and these letters in the order that you need them because we had like some misspell moments. We're like, oh, that's not right. And they have to pull all from the bottom and then they have to start all the way over. So very cool. I really enjoyed that. Jetson just kind of blazes a trail through this and wins the veto. So Latoya is very excited for the win because she knows this is good news for her. Victoria is very opposite, saying this was worst case scenario for her. So now her plan is to scare them into not using it. So Jetson and Ty, you know, they're they're a duo. They're very set, like we're going to use this veto and this is what we're going to do. So on another side note, we get kind of interruption in the game here. We get the announcement that a fan vote has been done to save one of the have-nots this week. And Canada voted to save one of them. So, which was kind of weird because this was done pretty far into the have not week. So they really didn't get saved from a lot of it. But Canada voted to save Braden. So he got, not only did he get saved, he also got a meal of his choice to be delivered to the Big Brother house. And my first thought was, is Wendy's coming? <laughs> is this another product placement for Wendy's? But no, it was something else. So uh, Braden got a very cool moment there where he got some delivered food to him and got to avoid uh, being a have-not for the rest of the week. So we get back to game stuff here to where Victoria's plan is to threaten J Ty and Jetson that if the veto is used that she's going to put up Ty as the replacement. And she tells Ty, you know, she said, I promise not to put you up but that he had better leave nominations of the same because she will put him up as a replacement. And her reasoning on this is telling Ty that Ty's the only per only person that LaToya wouldn't try to flip the house on. So when LaToya visits the HOH room, Victoria says she wants to leave her up there on the block because she doesn't trust LaToya to not try and flip the house. So now remember, LaToya is Victoria's target here. So Ty and Jetson are still struggling over this veto decision and still want to use it. So them, Beth, and LaToya all go to the HOH room saying, how can we trust you when you have two of us on the block? How are we supposed to align with you and trust you when you've got two of us up on the block? How are we supposed to do this? So, and then Victoria's like, hey, we're in this position because of your vote flip attempt last week. So and she asked the group, should I put up Beth? Is that is that better on who I should put up as a protection kind of thing here? So we get to the POV ceremony. No drama here. Jetson doesn't use the veto. <clears throat> During his speech, he did say that he planned to use it on LaToya, but after conversations in the house over the last couple of days that he can't do it. He does say, I hope that the target is who you say it is. And does the target feel safe? Yes, she does feel safe. She feels pretty good as we see her in the DR, and she says she feels like Kiefer is going home. So they're they're playing her pretty hard here on uh, making her feel safe. So, of course, Kiefer is still playing up what he was told to do, which is mope around, look sad, look like you're going home. We cut to the kitchen where Ty is sitting with Jetson and a few others, and this is a really awkward moment. And, of course, they're fired up about everything. And he's talking about how Victoria has to go and no way is she touching jury. Like we're, we're getting rid of her and they're laughing. And, and then the problem ends up being that it gets real awkward real fast when Victoria walks in the room. She was sitting off to the side waiting to go into the DR and she was out of sight where nobody knew that she was there. So, and of course everything gets real quiet and eyes get real big. Like, 
and they're like, do you think she heard that? And all of a sudden you hear, yeah, across the room, like, what, what, what are you doing? She's like, I'm, I'm answering. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she heard everything and, uh, that got really awkward really fast. So now she knows where Ty and Jetson are in position with her in this game. So of course that's been a big back and forth all week anyway, where it's like, you can use, we're going to use the veto. No, you can't use the veto. So, I mean, there's going to be back and forth there with, uh, with the power that's been going on there. So she tells Kyle and Austin that Ty and Jed were in here pitching alliances to her at one point. So she's done. She's throwing them under the bus, <laughs> you know, she's like, forget it. This is what I'm going to do now. So Latoya is making her way around the house, doing some low key campaigning, just kind of simple to the point campaigning, saying she's not going to badmouth Kiefer in the process. She likes Kiefer. So Kiefer, at one point, he tells Braden and Austin the plan, saying that Victoria told him that he was safe and to just act mopey. And they eye roll at this information that he's uh, telling them after he walks away. So speaking of Braden, we get Big Brother Bingo which uh, happens at one point this week. And uh, the result of it, of uh, the loss, is that we get our first costume of the new Big Brother season here in Canada, which means that Braden has to wear a life-size bingo ball for uh, for the rest of the week as far as till we get to the eviction. After the eviction episode's over, he can remove the costume and go back to normal. But we get a funny clip where he goes and he gets in the have-not room in the ball pit, and he sits down in the ball pit with his bingo ball costume and he says says i am now one with the balls and that was pretty funny i thought that was a pretty funny line as he sits in this big bingo ball costume and sits in the ball pit it's pretty funny tina talks to beth about the votes but has lost trust in the sunsetters she tries to get info from beth on where the sunsetters stand with the votes and she's getting very little information from from Beth to the point where Tina's just giving like eye rolls to the camera <laughs> and uh, she's just not getting much there. So, you know, and Tina talks in the DR about being in the middle of two alliances, but her true alliance is with Tara. So she talks to Tara, clues her in on how the other side of the house had come to her about wanting her to join their alliance. And, you know, Tara says, you know, ultimately Tina has to do what is best for Tina. And she understands that she's going to keep the information, you know, and Tina gives her this information of like, this is TNT. That's the name of their alliance. She's like, this has to stay with us. So from here, we get to the eviction and we're looking like we're going to get a blind side. That's been the talk for, you know, several days on the feeds and everything. So we're all pretty pumped to see how this episode goes tonight. So Latoya's speech is basically in her uh, eviction speech on you know why I should be saved is Victoria has made her target clear so please honor it well little does she know that that's actually the plan but she doesn't know that it's her that's that's the problem you know she does not know that the plan is Victoria has her as the target so how do the votes go well here's how the votes go to evict Kiefer we have Ty, Beth, and Jetson. Those are the votes to Vic Kiefer. Those are all sunsetters. 
So the votes to evict LaToya are Braden, Kyle, Austin, Rohan, Tina, and Tara. So we get a 6-3 blindside eviction of LaToya. So Victoria gets what she wanted. She gets LaToya evicted. LaToya gets up, gives hugs, skips right over Victoria, and keeps going with hugs. <laughs> and Victoria just kind of snickered like, oh, okay, I, I see how it is. And there's just been no love loss between those two this week. They've been at, they've been at odds for a couple of weeks, pretty well since the game started. They just have not got along. They've clashed. So Latoya said very little on her way out. She just pretty well kept her cool, just walked on out, said her goodbyes. And during her interview, you know, Arissa asked her if she was clued in. You know, did you have any feeling that you were going to get blindsided? And she said, yeah, I mean, I did have I did have kind of a clue because Victoria just seemed so determined to keep me up on the block that it just kind of raised some flags, you know. And, and Arissa asked, do you know who your votes were to keep you? And, and she nailed all three of them. So she was very clued in on, you know, who her votes would be to keep her. So, and I, clearly no, no chance of her coming back into the house because... If she was given her information on votes, that uh, that tells you that there will not be a return. As far as she goes, anyway, at least to this point of the game, we're not going to have returnees because they're getting information on their exit interviews. So that gets us to the HOH competition tonight. We got to see it all tonight. I kept watching my phone, looking at the time, like, oh, they're going to cut away, aren't they? They're going to cut away. And they didn't. They stayed with the whole thing. We had a competition it was called seniors disc count uh this comp is basically it's a shuffleboard you step up to the shuffleboard shuffleboard and you scoot your disc across the table and there's numbers all over the board you want to land your disc on the highest number which is up to 10 the higher numbers are at the end of the board so you got to be careful on how far you send it because you don't want to send your disc off the table and get nothing so here's the order of everybody that went up and their results. Tara goes up, gets a 7. Kiefer with a 10. Kyle with an 8. Braden with a 1. Jetson with a 9. Beth with a 4. Austin with a 10. Tina with a 0. She went too hard. Went uh, with a throw. Went off the board. A lot of... Uh, a lot of discussion on whether she threw that, you know, to where she threw that hard on purpose. Kind of looked like it, you know, definitely, definitely possible. Tie with a nine, row with a four. So that means we've got a tie at 10 with Kiefer and Austin. They go with a tiebreaker. Kiefer gets a nine on the tiebreaker. Austin gets a seven, which means Kiefer's HOH. So, I mean, for drama, this is perfect. When you in a Big Brother season, you want things going back and forth. You want the power to keep switching. So you've got Kiefer, who's had conflict with several in the house. He's had the vote flip. You know, he's got all that. So, and he was up on the block. So this is really going to be good here, to where now we've got some reaction off things that happened in the last week. So on the feeds, I mean, the talk is that Victoria is going to blame everything on Beth. That's her plan on why LaToya got voted out. She's going to blame everything on Beth. It's probably going to be very messy on how she blames Beth. On that it's, you know, I think people are going to see right through it probably. And Kiefer even knows that that wasn't the plan. You know, he knows that the plan all along was to 
to keep him and vote Latoya. So we're going to see that how that plays out. But it's been a very good week in the Big Brother Canada house. A lot of fun to watch. I'm really enjoying it. So we'll see how Kiefer's HOH week goes. That is it for this week's episode of the podcast. Hope you all have a great week. Take care. God bless. And of course, thank you so much as always for listening. Thank you.